Canucks have just one more home game at Rogers Arena tonight to wrap up this lengthy, lengthy homestand. They welcome the Anaheim Ducks to town. It's the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Drantz. Make sure you check out Drantz's work at The Athletic as well. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Make sure you get your text in as well, 650-650. Your thoughts ahead of tonight's final game of a seven-game homestand between the Canucks and the Anaheim Ducks. Again, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And Drancer, my heart wants to start with you, you know, going full heel and taking the East Coast side in an East Coast versus West Coast debate, as you've done <laughs> on Twitter and on the airwaves this morning. But I'll let you off the hook. It's, I'm just I'll right. let you off the hook. I'm just right, Jamie. Well, I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one. But we won't go into that. Uh, you, you've been uh, raked over the coals enough in this market as it is <laughs> for that take. And I understand your phone has blown up a little bit as well as a result. So let's just let's just get into it. Tonight, it's the Canucks versus the Ducks, and okay, they get, they're coming off the 6-3 win against Dallas. This road trip, we talked about it at the beginning, right? They had seven points in six games on the, uh, sorry, on the road trip to start. This yep. is the homestand. We talked about it coming into the homestand. Okay, that's great. You have a nice little successful road trip to start the year. Now you have to pay it off and make and do some damage at home. They haven't done that, they right? Not. Only four points through six games. That's not a good homestand in any situation for any team in the NHL, especially not one that is you know desperately trying to claw for playoff position this year. So tonight, you can't say that there's a successful homestand at stake because, again, even six points in seven games, that's not a success for any team in the NHL. In I, fact, it sucks. Yeah. For me, the stakes tonight <laughs> like are... It's not good at all. <laughs> you, can, you need two points to turn a disastrous homestand into merely a poor one. Yeah, I, that's where you're at every game. When you play in a Canadian market, you enter a yeah. season with expectations, and and it starts slow. Every win, like, they win against Dallas, right? And the market has generally been happy about the power yeah, play and happy to discuss the offensive explosion and, you know, are the big guns firing again? And yet, all that did, all that win did was stave off further chaos yeah. in terms of the discussion around this team in this market. That's where they're at. That's where they've put themselves. They're behind the eight ball. All they can do is win and, you know, do a salvage job on the homestand and avoid, you know, t- taking it, taking arrows in the public conversation around this club in this market. Uh, that's, that's unfortunate, right? Like, but that's where they're at. And, and it's not just going to take a win tonight. It's definitely going to take another win over the exact same team next weekend. And it's definitely going to take them, getting a split against the sleeping giants in Colorado and Las Vegas. Yeah, and you look at it, best case scenario, if they win tonight, they'll have 13 points through 13 games. So NHL 500, right? 82-point pace. That's an 82-point pace. We all know that's not what this team wants, where they want to be. That's not where they expect to be. That's not what their goal is for the season. Their goal is to make the playoffs. We all know what the cutoff roughly is going to be for that, right? It's going to be at the 94, 95 yeah. point, point mark. And so mushy middle, right? 82 points is literally a worst-case scenario. Yeah. So that means, again, even with a win tonight, because of the results on this homestand, because they couldn't find a way you know, to make it 10 out of 7 or 11 out of 7 or anything like that, 
uh, out of seven games that they're going to have to dramatically increase their point percentage, the rate they're playing at for the rest of the season if they want to achieve their goals. And that's going to be really tough because the schedule gets harder in the back half. Uh, and and most importantly, there's a ton of things that are going their way. Uh, not everything. By no means is everything going their way. I think they've had uh, some iffy finishing luck, for example. But the goaltending's been spectacular. Spectacular. Incredible. If you get goaltending at that level, you need to make hay of it. That's that's sort of the most disappointing part of the Canucks start for me as I look at it is just what they've squandered in terms of the remarkable play that Thatcher Demko has given them. And, of course, they'll try to win tonight with Yaroslav Halak looking set based on him leaving the ice first at the optional skate looking set to make his third start of the season. Yeah, that's the headline from an optional morning skate for the Canucks. At <laughs> not Rogers an eventful Arena. No, skate. not a particularly eventful one. We're not going to be breaking big news about line combinations or, you know, Tyler Mott's return to a lineup. That's not happening Oh, I got, I got something on that. Tyler Mott will not play tonight. There we go. Tyler but, Mott. But, yeah. but I'm told he will go on the road trip. So we'll see. It's been interesting. It's It seems like it's... It's taken a little longer than you might have expected at a certain point for Tyler Mott to get back in the lineup. So, again, not tonight. He's going on the road trip. It's going to be some, something worth monitoring because, as we've talked about at length, certainly at special teams on the penalty kill, they could really, really use Tyler Mott's presence in the lineup. But, as we said, Yarrow Halak gets the start tonight. It'll be his third start of the season. I do want to... At some point during the course of the show, talk about the Canucks goaltending workload split a little bit much, a little bit here and how it's looked so far this year, what it's going to look like for the rest of the season. But just, you know, we were talking about kind of where the Canucks find themselves in the pecking order of the Western Conference so far this year. And again, best case scenario tonight is there is that they leave this homestand on an 82 point pace for the season. And you just kind of I, and I know it's very early, right? It's not even at the, you know, kind of classic American Thanksgiving marking point of the season but if you look at how it's shaking out in the western conference already right i i think as much as it might pain canucks fans to admit the alberta teams are going to make the playoffs right just the talent level they've shown and the points they've banked already it would be pretty surprising to me if are they, you if saying the flames are good the flames look good man the flames are the flames are good that's what you're saying turns out daryl sutter's a pretty good coach turns out turns out that the flames are good hmm. yeah Cool. I've been I've taken a lot of shots in this market for for that opinion over the last uh, eighteen months. So good to see. But you get good to see, huh? You get Edmonton and Calgary look like they're gonna they're gonna be in. They 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 put themselves in a position where they can survive stretches of middling play and still make it to the playoffs. When you start well, it's yeah. amazing. You know, like you don't ha- even have to start that well to get to the point where it's like, oh, if you go five hundred NHL five hundred the rest of the way, you're a hundred and four point. You're gonna be in. Yeah. You're in. You're like. And that's that's the problem that this team's also encountered, right? They have to pick it up. Yeah. And so yes, I agree with you. Edmonton Edmonton's going to win the Pacific. Edmonton, I don't think there's yeah. much question at this point. I mean, Calgary's been really good too, and Calgary's definitely going to make the playoffs. They Ed- are they are excellent. The Alberta teams are going to be in as you called them. There's the two kind of sleeping giants in the conference in Colorado and Vegas, which yeah. Yeah, there's injuries. In in Vegas's case, there's some really kind of alarming underlying numbers in there that's going on for them right and now. That might be the only penalty kill that I'd bet on finishing behind the Canucks. Yeah, and so I would certainly still have both of those teams making the playoffs, and we'll see what happens with Jack Eichel uh, eventually if he's able to get on the ice for Vegas. But again, sleeping giants, I think, is the best way to look at them. 
you start to look at the other teams in the conference, like who's really distinguished themselves. I think we both like Minnesota. I think they're going to do enough to get in. I know their goal differential isn't sparkling right now, but some of their other numbers are pretty impressive. St. Louis is off to a hot start. Okay, so that gets you to maybe about six teams that you feel good about their playoff chances. Outside of that, you look up and down the standings. There's a lot of, let's let's be polite and say deeply flawed teams that are going to be competing for that those final polite. two playoff yeah, spots. Very nice I'm a you. very, very polite Canadian guy, <laughs> Dancer. You, you're well, like those, those teams should be like, oh, thank you, and you should respond, you're welcome. And then you guys should <laughs> say, after you, after you, no, 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 after you, please, <laughs> at a doorway for 20 minutes. Incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's the, the West is not very good this year. No. The West is like wide open. And, you know, that sort of adds to the missed opportunity, yeah. right? The opportunity cost that we're discussing the Canucks having incurred in the opening 12 games is that, you know, a hot start would have really, really set them up well. Really set them up well. And instead, we're sort of looking at a team that has limped through their first road trip that needs a win against a team that's ahead of them in the standings but that we don't expect anything from this season in the Anaheim Ducks. Yep. And yet, and yet, I think the Anaheim Ducks are a really bad matchup for the Canucks. We'll get into that, but I think this is a really dangerous game for Vancouver. They need this win to get back to NHL 500? Yikes. Like, that's a really tough spot to be in, especially with a pretty tough homestand or a pretty tough road trip uh, coming up following this, including, like, that back-to-back in Anaheim yeah. next uh, over the weekend. That's a 22-hour turnaround, between, like 22-hour gap between puck drop Saturday in Vegas, Sunday in Anaheim. That's a schedule loss and a half. Like, that's a really tough game. So, you know, I, I sort of look at this as, like, a quietly important game. You cannot you cannot pretend that you have playoff aspirations, meaningful playoff aspirations, start this slowly, and then lose to the Ducks at home. Like, you cannot. And you talk about missed opportunities. You know, they've, they've had the chance to play some of those deeply flawed teams on this homestand. Like, Nashville comes to mind. That's a huge missed opportunity for two points right? Oh, yeah. against a team that you're in all likelihood going to be competing for one of the wild card playoff spots with, right? Okay, you get the two points against Dallas. That's important. But as you said, this is just another chance. The Ducks, yeah, they're above you in the standings right now, but th- this is an eminently winnable game. And as you said, if you're going to have playoff aspirations, if you're going to be a playoff team in the NHL, when you're already feeling pressure because you haven't got the results you need at home, this is the game you absolutely have to win. As you said, before you go on a road trip to play two teams that are off to a slow start but still very daunting teams to see on the schedule in Vegas and Colorado, you have to find a way to get two points here. Because, again, you, Anaheim all of a sudden, as, as much as everyone could project the standings in the summer and have Anaheim way down the bottom of the Pacific Division, all of a sudden they're, they're a team you're competing with for the playoffs. And I expect them to fall back. But you never know. You got it. You you have to be one of the reasons they fall back by 100%. beating them in games like 100%. this. Hundred percent. You need to you need to win these games. And look, I'm excited actually to watch Anaheim live tonight. Like Trevor Zegras is for real. He's a lot of fun. Uh, drafted one slot ahead, of course, of Vasily Podkolzin. And you know the the Podkolzin thing. I mean, you start sort of looking at at this point in the season, right? Like. W- where are the Canucks? What have they shown us? Have they shown us enough for us to think that this is going to turn around, right? Yeah. And it's like, unless you expect the lotto line to flip a switch and all of a sudden be driving play again, five on five, if that happens, then, you know, th- then we're talking about a very Changes different team with a very different outlook. Yeah. But it's going to take that, you know, Vasily Colson needs to continue his trajectory because, man, if he is, if he is the player that he was on Sunday night, 
on a consistent-ish yes. basis over the latter 70 games, that changes the entire complexion of what this team's forward depth looks like. You know, Horvat and Besser and or Horvat and Pearson and Hoaglander need to keep it up. And then this defense, I mean, have we seen anything that suggests to you that this defense is good enough? Have we? Like, just have we? Uh, honestly, open question. And and listeners, feel free to let us know. Like, have you seen anything that suggests to you that the Canucks have enough defensive two-way intelligence on the back end to accomplish the things that a playoff team needs to accomplish? Like, I don't know. I, I, I would say no, but I'm curious to know what you're, you think. What we've seen is they have three defensemen they can feel they can rely on right now. Mm-hmm. And that's not enough. Ultimately, that's not enough. Now, in... There's always two conversations, right? There's the make the playoffs conversation, and there's, you know, ascend to the top of the league conversation, right? And those are very different things because mediocre teams make the playoffs every year in the NHL, right? So if that's – and that's kind of what the team – that's where the team has set their goals this year. So if you're talking about, you know, is this defense capable enough to get the team to the playoffs? Yeah, it is. And that's not – again, that's not a particularly high bar to clear in the NHL. Is it – competent enough and dangerous enough and talented enough for them to be seen as legitimate Stanley Cup contenders? No, of course it's not right now. And we haven't seen that, and it doesn't seem like there's anything on the horizon that's coming to change that. Uh, I do want to get into the specific matchup with the Ducks tonight. And uh, Catan in Strathcona texts in, maybe I'm being too typical of a Canucks fan, but something about this game seems important. If they can't win at least this, it feels like it could really dictate the team's energy during their road trip, and by extension, maybe ultimately dictate the season and look I know in a Canadian market there's always the temptation to single out a game and say this is a big game right and it's a Tuesday night game (laughs) against Anaheim I get it it feels (laughs) ridiculous but as you and I laid out these are games you got to win you got you have to win these games when your back's already a little bit against the wall because you haven't made hay at home you have to find a way to get two points is it possible to turn their season around even if they lose this game of course it is but we're still very much in the in the mindset of looking looking for this team to prove that they are legitimate playoff contenders, right? And they need to just keep building that case and keep showing us because they haven't been able to consistently do it so far. So you were talking about the matchup with the Ducks and how you're not particularly you don't you don't look at it as a favorable matchup for the Vancouver Canucks. What about what is it about Anaheim that leads you to say that? Well, it's a power play, first of all. Yeah, I mean, that power play is really good. Ryan Getzlaff is the main trigger man on it. Um, you know, I've seen them go some three forwards 2D. Like, I've seen them roll uh, some sort of old school, like old school sets, which makes sense when you consider the talent that this team has with Fowler and Shattenkirk and on and on, some of the more offensively minded D. Um, they're well coached. They got Newell Brown. Expect to see say, some drop passes. R- remind me who coaches the power play again. <laughs> Expect to see some drop passes. But look, I mean... There's a lot of youth, right? There's a lot of youth in, in this lineup. Troy Terry is crushing it. Uh, Troy Terry, a player that I saw a lot of actually in DU, uh, weirdly, because, yeah, anyway. Uh, but Troy Terry is excellent. Uh, it's They've got a vibe of a team that doesn't know what they don't know, and that's always dangerous, especially early in the season, you know? You, you bump into a team like Anaheim in Game 70, and it might be a lineup entirely composed of kids, right? half-checked out, but you face them this early when things have been going pretty well. They're a dangerous opponent. Throw in the goaltending, John Gibson. I'm not the biggest fan of Gibson, especially with the performance that he's put in the last couple of years, but on any given night, he can make a difference. We've seen that over the years. We've seen this Canucks team struggle against Anaheim. Like, even 2019-20, when they made the playoffs, I remember 
the loss on uh, the Sunday, the final Sedin night game. I remember the loss where Jacob Markstrom charged out at, I think it was Getzlaff uh, yep. in overtime. Um, like, you know, this team has tended to struggle a- against Anaheim. And then, and then look, Dallas Akins hasn't had the most success in his NHL coaching career, but his teams always seem to play pretty hard. Like, his teams always seem to play pretty hard, pretty structured. I think he gets more out of his group than they... <laughs> than they I should. Just, speaking of being polite Canadians, that's what? what that's one way to describe Dallas Aikens' coaching record. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? not, not not very good. <laughs> well, he crushed in the A. He anyway, um, seems like a great guy, by the way, as well. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Spends a lot of time in Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, the The fact is, is though, is that uh, I do think that this team, this Anaheim Ducks team, is not the you know the cupcake that perhaps no. that perhaps we might have thought they were when the schedule was first laid out prior to this. And season. the interesting thing with the Ducks is, okay, you mentioned Troy Terry. He's he's crushing it for them, eight goals in 12 games. He's 24. A lot of the other players that are really leading the way for them are veterans, right? Like Kevin Shattenkirk's having an incredible year yeah. at age 33. Ryan Getzlaff, as you said. Rejuvenated. Still, still a, an incredibly effective power play presence. I mean, Ryan Getzlaff, what yeah. a career, what a player. Bathing in the had. fountain of youth. Ryan Getzlaff, yeah. revitalized. Adam Henrique, 31. Cam Fowler, 30. Jacob Silverberg, 31. These are all guys having really good yeah. years, and you could throw John Gibson in that as well. He's 28, but... You know, Gibson, we were talking about a little just before we got it on air. He had that incredible kind of three- or four-year stretch for Anaheim. The last couple of seasons have not been nearly as pretty for John Gibson, and maybe you could chalk it up to injuries. Or, or the Ducks themselves The being Ducks being awful. Woeful. But he's off to a good start this year, right? So even if you're not particularly high on John Gibson, as you said, he has the ability to steal a game, and he's playing uh, the best hockey he's played in a few years going into this one. It is interesting because five-on-five, I actually don't see this as a terrible matchup for the Canucks just because the Ducks have been one of the more permissive teams at five-on-five in terms of expected goals allowed. And, you know, the Canucks, for as much as they got the three power play goals last game, they're still waiting to have kind of a a true a signature five-on-five performance this year, I think, where they really generate a lot at even strength. And you wonder if maybe the Ducks are the team that they can get it done against but then you look at special teams, and this has so far been an excellent, excellent special teams unit in Anaheim. 27%, over 27% on the power play, and 85% on the penalty kill. And that has been the story of the Canucks season so far, is anything decent that they've done at even strength. For the most part, until the Dallas game, they've given it back on special teams, and that that pretty clearly cannot be the story tonight, or or. Anaheim has the talent and has the ability to punish them if they are not at their best on special teams. Well, and and this team has not been at their best on special no. teams all season. I mean, even that game against Dallas, they come out plus one, right? They come out yep. plus one, like, at the end of the day. It's as good as the power play was, the penalty kill remained bad enough to neuter that advantage, and that's kind of been the, the tail of the tape for this Canucks team. The, the PK is giving away so much, and, and it's giving away so much even though they're not taking a ton of penalties. Yep. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, this Ducks team, they're going to have to play, the Canucks are going to have to play a clean game. You can't even rely at this point on your kill being better. You just have to stay out of the box. You just have to stay out of the box straight up. Like, they have to be disciplined because, I, I mean, I don't know. And, and you know, I, I think about it. I look at it. We talked about it a little bit yesterday. Like, what can the Canucks do? What would you see the Canucks do differently on the PK? And I, I yeah. joked about Pod Colson, but yeah. that's a pure desperation. That's a break glass in oh, case of yeah. emergency play. 
I talked about putting Hamannick and OEL out first as your first pair when the power play starts. Great. Like, woo. Like, that's not – neither is an elite penalty-killing player. Like, it's not a game-changer. There's no right-handed centerman. There's no lefty that you trust on the PK or that Travis Green trusts on the PK anyway. Uh, I mean, I just don't see – I don't see what – I don't see how you fix it at this point, to be totally honest, especially when, you know – Looking at the mistakes that Dallas punished the other the other night, it was JT Miller overcommits after a keep keep in, gets exposed on two seam passes. Like it's his overcommitment at the line to try and clear the zone that gets that opens up the space for the two seams, uh, and and it's Tucker Pullman losing a guy at the net front. I mean, those are not. There's nothing systems wise going on there that you can fix. The, no. You need guys to be like, oh, there's Jamie Ben who's really good at the net front in front of the goalie, like. Maybe I got to tie him up. You know, you you gotta you gotta clear that puck. Like it's it's elementary stuff that they are just consistently mangling, and it's given them probably the worst shorthanded profile of any team in the league. They're also they also have the worst actual kill percentage. I, I just don't see a route to being any better. And we've talked about the importance of faceoffs on the penalty kills as well. Ryan Getzlaff winning fifty seven percent of his draws this year. Adam Henrique winning fifty eight, almost fifty nine percent of his draws and those are the two guys who are going to be taking a lot of them on the on the power play for Anaheim so that doesn't get any easier for the guys on the Canucks side of things who are going out there and being asked to win those big face-offs and that has been a problem for the penalty kill as well this year what do you think about them having a chance to at least create some things five on five though here tonight against the against the Anaheim Ducks because you look at it and they don't have they the personnel, it makes sense that they are giving up a lot of chances, and they have, in fact, given up a lot of chances this year. And I think the question for me is, a lot of teams, you would look at that and say, okay, good, you have a good you have a good opportunity here to score some goals at 5-on-5. Five five. The Canucks have just had so many problems doing that. I wonder if the Canucks are going to be able to take advantage of a relatively permissive, lax 5-on-5 five five Anaheim team. Yeah, I mean, it's an unstoppable force meets a movable, or it's a stoppable force meets a movable <laughs> object, right? I mean, you're talking about a bottom five, five-on-five five defense against yeah. a bottom five, five-on-five five five offense. offense, right? Yeah. So the, the one thing that you got to take some confidence in if you're Vancouver, I think, in terms of your offensive attack, is that at least against Dallas, and really for a couple of games now, three or four games now, you've had two lines that are yeah. reliably going to generate something for you and actually t- generate the type of quality looks that this club has had far too few of for most of the season. And that's as a result of Garland and Pod Colson finding some voodoo between them that's really fun to watch, right? Really fun to watch, really dynamic, has resulted in some goals, has resulted in the Canucks controlling almost 60% of expected goals with that th- that duo on the ice since they hit um, home ice uh, for this homestand. So that's a big development. And then that pearson horvat Hoaglander line, even as, you know, uh, people have been uh, pooling money to buy a banner saying take <laughs> take Tanner Pearson off the bot- out of the top six, they've, they've come alive. Like, they've been really good. That line has given the Canucks some breathing room to figure out what's going on with their other lines. They need to get a lot of line going, though. Like, I don't, I, I'm running out of ways to qualify it, be polite about it, uh, talk about it in sort of a balanced term, like – you cannot have a top line playing as much as that line plays at a 35% control of expected goals. Like that is, that's, that's killing this team, man. That's killing this team. And it's, 
that conversation is not going anywhere until they show us, right? And at Or least, they get split up. Yeah, or they get split up. But right now, as you said, the other two units are working. So do you really want to mix? Do you want to take what you have on the second or third I think line? You have to. The leverage of that line is, like, the leverage of those minutes is too high. It's too high. But if you're getting production from Connor Garland and Vasily Podkolzin... Well, keep them together then. Okay, but then where are you flip, Are you mixing? Flip Pedersen and Dickinson and and just have a top line that's Miller, Dickinson, Besser, and you're not even expecting them to score. You're just like, just neuter the top line of the opposition. Then you have Pedersen, Podkolzin, Garland playing bottom six competition, and you know that you're going to get some offense in that. In you're that kind of back where you started, though, then, right? Because you have two totally. lines who are generating offense it, and one that's not doing anything. But that's for fine. You. That's fine. So long as so long as they're just doing nothing, I can live with that. The problem is, is that the lotto line's also giving a lot back, right? I, I mean, there's just no, there's no bottom line there, and I'm okay with no bottom line if the line's centered by Jason Dickinson. I'm a lot less okay with there being no bottom line if it's centered by Elias Pettersson. Yeah, that's fair enough, and they do ultimately need to get Elias Pettersson going one way or another. I just, I, 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 when you look at it, as you said, they have two lines going right now. My inclination would be for at least a few more games to give the lotto line time to try to figure it out themselves as a trio, rather than splitting up some units that are having success currently. But ultimately, this team is going to go as far as first of all, Elias Pettersson, but also that trio in general is going to take them. So. When you, when you think about kind of the priority of the coaching staff, yeah, it would be great to keep Connor Garland, Pod Colson together and let them do their thing. But yes, at some point you have to start trying things and you have to kind of do whatever it takes to get Elias Pettersson back to the player he can be at 5-on-5. Five five. Lots of texts coming in, 650-650 to the Dunbar-Lumber text line. We will read some more of them after the break. Plus, keep diving into tonight's matchup. Uh, we'll talk about the matchup in goal, not the one necessarily people would have expected with Yaro Halak getting the start tonight, but we will talk about the Canucks goaltending situation and more. That's next. It's Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650, live from Rogers Arena. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by my co-host, Canucks Insider and reporter at The Athletic, Thomas Drantz. A handful of Anaheim Ducks players on the ice after the Canucks vacated after their optional morning skate here at the rink. I should also mention, of course, Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Drancer, we mentioned in the first segment that uh, former Canucks power play coach Newell Brown, of course now in Anaheim, has that unit clicking at above 27%. Uh, Newell Brown catching up with some members of the Canucks organization here at Rogers Arena as yeah, we speak. Principally the two quarterbacks of his uh, 2010-11 power play, uh, NHL leading number one power play, Henrik and Daniel Sedin, hanging out on the Canucks bench, having a nice chat. I was about to say shooting the uh, – having having a nice chat with Newell Brown. and, and Shooting the breeze. Yeah. Shooting the breeze. And, uh, and Mr. Hamilton, the Canucks um, assistant equipment manager. So, uh, no uh, – Newell Brown, the Newell Brown homecoming. Do you think they'll do a tribute a video? Tribute video, just, just, <laughs> just endless drop passes, say, drop pass after drop pass after drop pass, while playing "Drop It Like It's Hot." <laughs> that would be so good. That would be so good. Like Snoop Dogg playing, it makes sense with the SoCal theme. Like, 
and it's just an endless reel of like Edler and Hughes drop passes. That would be the best. Oh, but you know what? So it would actually be pre- it would actually be great. Someone someone enterprising on Twitter should get on this and just collect all of the successful drop passes because there were plenty of them. As much totally. as people oh, no, lost their heads about s- it, it worked. Collect collect the bad ones too. <laughs> oh, so good. Oh, man. The, um, the drop pass tribute video. The drop pass tribute video would make my life. It's just like it's just like I really want to see them play Myers hitting Keith in arena. Like, yeah, it would be pretty good. It would be so good. This crowd would go wild for it. Maybe uh, that might be my new... My new thing about the power play is they're not doing the drop pass enough. But I'll come on every day and just pound the table for more drop passes <laughs> on the power play. I'll make that my brand here in Vancouver. Oh, I love it. Well, I, look, <laughs> at the end of the day, complaining about the power play is is a brand in, in and of itself oh, yeah. in this market. Um, like the rain, right? Like <laughs> rain, coffee, death, and complaining about the power play. Those are like the four certainties of Vancouver. Um, but yeah, no, in- interesting to see Newell holding court at length uh, with the Twins. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Plenty of you got your thoughts in in the first segment. Uh, Leaf Hater Steve text in, we need to finish off this homestand with a win, so we head off on the road with the team on a high and looking forward to a good trip. A loss to the Ducks will take the win out of the players and the fans' sales. And I think you're certainly right on that last point, Steve, that a loss to the Ducks tonight. And again, we said the stakes are you know turning a disastrous road trip into a merely disappointing or a merely poor one. But if they lose tonight, then you're in the disaster category. Yeah. And, you know, as we know, Canucks fans, if there's if they see a disaster unfolding in front of them, they're going to be pretty vocal about it, right? And that's going to be the scenario if they drop both points tonight. Canucks fans cannot resist a disaster. No, nor can anyone. And, um, you know, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, the stakes are mild. But they feel significant for this team right now. I got a text in from Steven in Delta, by the way. Didn't the lotto line account for four points or more in the last game? I'm pretty sure that's a good result that should hopefully be repeated shortly, but not a reason to break them up. Just curious why we're talking about the lotto line not producing after their best game of the season. All of those points were on the power play. Yes. At the end of the day, that's the reason. Like, I'm talking about the five-on-five profile of this team, which is, you know, not where it should be, particularly offensively in terms of what they're generating. And an awful lot of that comes down to what their top players are doing. It's a, it's the other thing, like I, I mentioned earlier on the show, the Canucks are sort of not having good finishing luck. In, in the grand scheme of things, you'd expect the Canucks to be shooting something like 8.5 to 9% uh, over the course of a, of a full 82-game season. Right now they're sub-7% at 5-on-5. Five five. That, to me, looks a little low, but it's not a little low when the top guys, when your guys that you expect to be your best finishers, your most efficient converters of chances are not going or generating chances, then then you're not going to regress the full way. So until the Canucks' top players get going offensively, you know, as much as this club is legitimately improved in terms of their 5-on-5 defense, it doesn't matter if you're not able to take advantage of it by getting a few yourself, by creating an environment where you're legitimately more likely to get the next goal. Too often, despite their defensive improvement, the Canucks are the team far less likely to get the next goal. Yeah. And that always leaves you running, you know, uh, like that always leaves you on the, on your heels as opposed to on the front on the front of your foot, uh, particularly when you combine that fact with a uh, league worst power penalty. And, and I do think 
if you look at the underlying numbers, there is some reason to think it's trending in the right direction for the lotto line. I look at Elias Patterson, just his last three games, the expected goals for him on the ice by percentage has been 76, 68, 85. Okay, so now it hasn't translated into production, which it needs to, but you look at what was going on before that for expected goals percentage for Patterson. It was 26, 30, 11, 19, 28. Like he was getting absolutely buried. Now at least he's been in the black. And that's just one number, and you can look at high danger chances. You can look at shots. No, but you can look at so many different things. That's the best things. number because that's the all-in. Oh, excuse yeah. me. That's the all-in number. The, 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 that's the best number. Uh, yes, the lotto line's been better. Yeah. But on the whole, on the whole, over the last over the sample that you're talking about, that trio together has increased their share, their share of expected goals from 23%, yeah. which was the league league's worst metric yeah. by, by any forward line that had spent at least 50 minutes together. Um, and they've increased that to 35%. So it's like they've gone from completely unplayable to still really, really bad. And that's, you know, not good enough considering how good those players are and how important they are to anything the Canucks hope to achieve. And they have to pay it off, right? Like, it's trending in the right direction, but they still, as you said, they still need to get to a much higher level. And, you know, they get, like the lot of line... They got to win a game for the Canucks at some point. You know what I mean? Like that's what your star players do. That's what Thatcher Demko does. That's what Quinn Hughes can do. The, the lot of line has to go out and dominate and win a game for this team. And I think until that happens, right? It, it, it's one thing to put up the expected goals numbers. That's important. That that usually bodes well going forward. But until the team has a or, or the line has a kind of signature dominant effort at even strength, I think there are going to be questions about. Uh, their performance. Before we get into the the goaltending discussion, Drancer, we had a couple texts come in about the penalty kill that I just want to read. And the first one is from Lee, and it says, Hughes gets paid almost $8 million, doesn't kill penalties. Just curious. Is that rare around the league? Most elite D-men I can think of all do it. Just wondering. That's from Lee. And related, another unsigned text comes in and says, how about giving Elias Pettersson some penalty killing time? And I do think it's interesting that, you know, we're talking about a, a major weakness of the team and so many of their best players, and it's not just Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, it's also Bo Horvat, who, you know, theoretically is supposed to be a two-way center for this team. It's Brock Besser. They're not involved at all on the penalty kill. Is I understand the reasoning, right, because you know they're going to play in all the other situations. Is that something that's on the coaching staff? Raider, does that ever do we ever see that change? Do we ever see them explore the possibility of using Patterson, Hughes, etc. on the penalty kill? I don't think we'll see it with Hughes. I really don't. I just don't think we're going to see it with Quinn Hughes at all. <laughs> ever, uh, to be totally honest with you, at least under this coaching staff. Uh, Patterson, we'll see. I don't think that's a serious consideration, particularly because you know if Patterson was a righty who was winning draws, he'd have already been drafted. He'd already been drafted in to help with the PK. Right. But he's a lefty who doesn't win draws, so you know the thing that they need most, he doesn't do. And then there's an additional concern with Pedersen, like, guy's a perfectionist at everything he does, right? So you can't put a perfectionist in a stationary defensive situation and be like, but don't block every shot because we need you to be healthy, you know? He's going to go out, and he's going to block every shot he can, um, and he's going to be a maniac, and you're going to lose 20 games of him. And, you know, that it just doesn't make sense. So I think there's a real concern about Pedersen's mindset in a complimentary way, right? Like, yeah. he wants to do things the right way. Doing things the right way on the PK requires you to uh, lay, it, lay it on the line in a way that's probably not uh, in this club's best interest. So in terms of the defensemen, though, that don't 
necessarily kill penalties. Like, you know, Dougie Hamilton's a very much a supporting player on the New Jersey Devils PK. Um, you know, Eric Carlson never killed penalties in yep. um, Ottawa, although he has for this season for San Jose. Um, you know, Chris Letang was was not always a penalty killing guy for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, you know, is very like plays a minute on on uh, per game. That's fifth among Penguins defenders. So it's not super unusual for an it's offensive minded. It, it's defender. certainly not unheard of, right? Yeah, it's definitely not unprecedented. Yeah. But it's you know, it is a little different. And and look, it it creates a dynamic where the Canucks probably do need a third pair lefty who can kill. Right? They probably do need that piece. They don't have it. Ole Olevi didn't come into camp in shape, and that sort of caused that to transpire. I think it's partly why Jack Rathbone's not here. If Jack Rathbone could kill penalties or was trusted to kill penalties, I could still be up here. I, I Look, I still think he should be, considering what he yep. brings to this club's speed and to their offensive attack, especially considering how much this club struggled to generate much at 5-on-5. Five five. But, you know, overall, I think uh, I think when you look at it, and you look at penalty killing, you know, not putting Quinn Hughes on the PK isn't isn't a problem for this team. Not having Elias Pettersson on the PK uh, is not a problem for this team. Now, not having Bo Horvat or not having Tanner Pearson, not having some of those second-line type guys yeah. who are also, like, your elite penalty killers, right? Not having those types of guys, you know, that does create a dynamic where you do wonder, does this Canucks team have enough of the types of players you win with? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, most teams have like a Brad Marchand, like a guy who's in your top six, who you trust. An all-situation player. All situations, yeah. right? Uh, Mitch Marner, even, for Toronto. Uh, you know, you go on and on down the list. Uh, Zach Hyman for Edmonton, right? Like, And that's sort of why, when I talked yesterday about Vasily Podkolzin, like at some point the Canucks do need to develop that guy. And to me, he's the guy who has the look. Like he has the look of the guy who could maybe be that player. Um, you know, I, I certainly think it's worth a shot. It, in theory, it should have been Bo Horvat, but it's just never developed to be that way, right? And it just it, 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 it's just, just never not worked. going to. I don't yeah. know why it's never worked, but it's never worked. It, it's it's so surprising because while Bo Horvat is more of an offensive than a defensive center, uh, despite the fact that he has the faceoff percentage yep. that sort of confuses people. Um, I think I once compared it to a squirrel <laughs> on uh, the faceoff percentages, like the bushy tail that makes you forget that it's a that it's a rodent. Um, Bo Horvat's an offensive player who wins yes. a ton of draws. Um, for whatever reason, as smart as he is in every facet of the game, uh, it, he he's just not particularly effective four and five. Uh, it's it's an it's an odd one. And he's never been a, a true shutdown center either. We should say at five on five. No, but he's good. Like he can handle. You can throw him into the fire, and he's not going to kill you. Yeah. And that's a that's a high bar. Like that's a really high bar. You have to be a really reliable two way player just to leap over that. Um, certainly, you have to be at the level of a two-way player that you think you could at least be a league average penalty killer for whatever reason. And, and we're not talking about small samples here. No. We're not talking about, could Vasily Podkolzin do it? Like, we don't know. We've never seen it. Bo Horvat, we've seen. We've seen him four on five. It's it's just never worked. And for me, it comes down to, you know, it's one thing to have your top two players not be a factor on the penalty kill. That's fine, right? Like, there's plenty of teams where that's the case, where you don't you don't rely on them, you don't count on them. But when you're going kind of four or five deep, and, and in the Canucks kind of top five players, top five skaters anyways, JT Miller is the only one who plays in all situations. That, that That's tough, and it does it, – it's not an impossible hill to overcome, but it does make – constructing the rest of your roster more difficult, right? You, you, it, it makes completing the puzzle 
a little more tricky. Uh, I did like this. This unsigned text comes in. Do you think we can get Louie back for the PK? Yeah, I think I think the Coyotes would listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is a great penalty killer. There's no question about it. He does the little things. And well, and and you know, every time I see a Canuck miss on an empty net, like when when JT Miller golfed it down, right? And by his own admission, it wasn't a great attempt at the empty net for for the hat trick goal yeah. against Dallas. Yeah. Um. You know, I I thought to myself, oh boy, like you know who would have been lights out like a hundred percent like you knew before he even shot it you know who would have scored there mr louis himself king louis king louis 16 but Tan- tanner pearson was really the, the or, empty sorry net king specialist. louis 21 right yeah. he wore the number yeah, 21 yeah, yeah. tanner pearson was really the empty net specialist on that line though like louis was no, out there it, no louis, you watched some of the pearson goals i know he i scored? know he, he had the long range yeah. he was the long range threat he was the steph curry <laughs> tanner pearson's the steph curry of empty, empty net, net goals, goals. yeah splash but from for, the logo sorry we i we really missed the opportunity <laughs> to not call them the splash brothers um <laughs> but but it was louis who got like everyone when when they went on that ridiculous yeah, 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 run yeah, yeah. right yeah, it was louis yeah. who who got like four in a row. Yeah. And uh, I remember asking Travis Green, I was like, do you get excited when Louis Erickson has a shot at an empty net? And he was just like, you're an idiot. <laughs> Louis, was, Louis was doing his work in the paint. Tanner Pearson was doing it yeah. from, uh, from long range. But yeah, Louis was going hard in the paint. Uh, we, wanted to, uh, we wanted to get into this. So Yarrow Halak gets the start tonight, his third start. It'll be the team's 13th game and you know the Canucks aren't the only team that find themselves in this situation it's something that I think happens a lot around the NHL right where there's you go into the season and there's a lot of kind of uh, good intentions about having a, a relatively even split or you know making sure your number one goalie doesn't play too many games because you want to keep them fresh down the stretch and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation like the Canucks are in where you're looking at this game in November on a Tuesday against Anaheim and you're thinking oh man we really need these two points and the temptation gets pretty high to roll with your number one goalie that you have a ton of confidence in and for the Canucks I mean where where do you see Thatcher Demko's workload going for the rest of the season and I guess there's two parts of this right there's where should it be and where do you think it will end up for the rest of the season you gotta you gotta cap it at 60 for me like you gotta cap it at 60 you need you need your backup to play minimum minimum 22 games especially if you're gonna do anything in the playoffs now granted the Canucks might have to go 65 plus to get there for it to even matter but, you know, we, we used to see, like, now that we understand goalie workloads better, for example, right? I think I, I've often looked at Luongo, for example, in his prime Canucks years, Yeah. right? If you look at Luongo's save percentage after, or look at Luongo's game-by-game performance after he played 70 games in a season, which he almost always did yep. in those years that Vancouver won around pretty consistently, right? Um, after about game 70... The thing with Luongo's performance is that it was really hit or miss. It was like shutout or it was blown up. Five goals against, right? I, I certainly can't think of any notable examples of that <laughs> in a, in a seven-game sample size. Yeah, well, no, but even even think about the Chicago series, yeah. right? Like, yeah. think about those many Chicago series or the series against Anaheim, right, that they lost after that Dallas series. Uh, I mean, you know, I do think that there are diminishing returns to a goaltender's performance once they've played a certain amount in a season, I think it it impacts their ability to be consistent. Um, And I think if this team is going to make the playoffs and then is going to be a tough out, who's the key guy? Like, it's Demko, right? We've seen him. So we've seen him do it. We've seen him frustrate a superior team in the playoffs. So, you know, if you go into the playoffs with a healthy Thatcher Demko who's relatively rested, it's also his first year being a workhorse number one. 
Like he's never he's never played sixty plus games. He's never played forty plus games in an NHL season before. Yeah. So I do think you need to be very careful about overextending him. We know that Halak gets a ten game played bonus worth one point two five million. So, you know. Uh, but that's not going to color your thinking. No, no, no. That, that's you, such an absurd number that it doesn't enter into no, it. No, it's like, that's it, put in there because they know he's going to hit it. It's a, a correct. It's yeah. a cap workaround. Yeah. And so you know, a, as you look at, a, as you look at Thatcher Demko and how many games he should play. You know, obviously no back to backs, so that gets Halak basically two ten. Yeah. If he just played back to back, which he's which he's not, he's getting an elective start tonight. Although to this point, he's played mostly back to backs. Um, so, you know, that gets him to 10. I think you need to have him play at least 10 to 15 games electively. I think if you could keep Demko in the high 50s, that would be ideal. Um, but look, uh, we know we've seen we've seen that Green likes to ride a starter, right? We've seen that pretty consistently. In fact, last season with Holtby and Demko out of the gate before Demko clearly surpassed yeah. Holtby was almost one of the very few times that we've seen him kind of balance things in, in sort of an equitable way between his goaltending platoon. He's usually had Markstrom, and he's ridden Markstrom, or, you know, whomever he's had, he's had one goalie, he's ridden that goalie. Um, you know, I, I expect they'll ride Demko. Uh, like, they're going to ride Demko, but obviously, as they're showing tonight, they, they understand the, the need to manage the work, right? And what I do think that, that you're going to see this club avoid, because I do think that they're shrewd to the need for their goaltenders to rest. I do think, you know, Clark has a ton. Ian Clark has a ton of input on goal. Like, I don't think you're going to see a Jacob Markstrom situation like you saw in Calgary last year where they just rode him into the ground and then he wasn't effective the rest of the year. Completely ruined him. Um, You're not going to see that out of this, out of this group because a of Clark's input and B, because I think there's a fair bit of, you know, statistical analysis and open-mindedness in terms of shaping that discussion. So, you know, I, I expect Demko, the temptation is going to be to play Demko a lot, maybe even play Demko too much. I think we'll see that at times. I think at times yeah. this club's the 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 margins are going to be narrow enough that they're going to succumb to that temptation here and there. But I think that they're going to have to pr- move forward with the bigger picture in mind. I think they have enough of a track record, even in how they handled Markstrom and Demko or other situations. Like I, I do think they'll end up with Demko somewhere between fifty-seven. And sixty-five. I know that's a wide range, but uh, but uh, I do think that's sort of the range that I'm looking at, both as something that's realistic and certainly on the lower end of that, something that's like a desirable. Ideal. Yeah, I mean, I would I would definitely take the over on you know sixty starts for for Thatcher Demko because right now with with Halak getting the start tonight, I think Demko is probably on pace for between sixty and sixty-five starts this year, and. We talked a little bit about a little bit about it earlier in the show, Drancer. Right, the the difference that a good start to the season can make for your mentality and just for what you need to accomplish over the rest of the season. And I think it's the same with the goaltending split. Right, like once you get behind the eight ball, it just becomes so hard psychologically to find those those elective starts, as you say, for your backup goalie. Right, we all know, you know, no matter what the position is. The backup's going to get it, going to get one of back-to-back games, right? We know that. But when you're constantly chasing and you're constantly looking up in the standings trying to get back in the playoff position, it becomes so much more difficult to find those spots for your backup goalie. And I think that's going to be the challenge for the Canucks. You know, if you're – even in – if it's December, but you're four points up on, on a team chasing you for the playoffs, right? If you're in, you know, fifth in the conference in December, you feel a lot more comfortable giving Yaroslav Halak some games. But – the Canucks right now are in a position where 
they already kind of feel like they have to scratch and claw for every two points. And I think you are going to see that games played number for Thatcher Demko creep up certainly above 60 and, and probably get, get into that 65 range just because he's so important to them. And, and they need every point they can get right now. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think above 62 is too much. Like that for me, you got to have your backup play 20. Um, just want to read a quick uh, a quick tweet from our friend Taze5 on yep. Twitter. He says, even though Horvat hasn't worked on the PK, I think it's worth a shot to get him back out there. He struggled with the static tactics. The whole team has, though. Maybe they change that up and get aggressive. Worth a shot. Um, at this point, though, right? We, we talked about break glass in case of emergency. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're at that point. Like, yeah. There is no arrow that the Canucks can shoot from their quiver to fix their PK that I'd be like, oh, I don't know about that. Like, this is throw everything you've got. Kitchen sink time. Like, this is throw everything you've got at the problem and see if anything sticks. Like, we are at that point for the Canucks PK. And the thing with trying Horvat there is it has a potential to pay long-term dividends for you as well, right? Like, if all of a sudden you unlock, you crack the code that unlocks Bo Horvat as a as a solid penalty killer in the NHL, if you that's, that's dramatic not just for this season. That's dramatic for the team going forward as well. It hasn't worked. So, yes, it is a bit of a, oh, my goodness, we have to try something, and this is something decision. But as you said, at this point, why not try something different? Because what they're running out there right now it is simply not working on the penalty kill. They will get a chance to try to correct it against one of the more dangerous power plays in the league for the Anaheim Ducks. They take them on tonight at Rogers Arena. Game time is 7. Pre-game show with the People Show starts at 5. Batch and Hershey have the call at 7. And, of course, Sat and Bick have your post-game coverage all the way until 11.30. You can catch it all here on the home of the Canucks. For myself, Jamie Dodd, and Thomas Drance, thanks for listening to the Canucks Hour. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.